Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Amen. Well, this morning... I'm going to start a new series today. It's called Deconstruction, Reject, Reevaluate, and Restore. So I've had this in my heart for a while, just trying to find the right uh, placement in the preaching plan for it. And I feel like, you know, that is, that is now. Now, some of you may be familiar with this term and, and understand it. Some may not be familiar with the word or its meaning, but deconstruction, especially kind of a religious turn, is the process of internal questioning and reevaluating beliefs and faith, all right? The process of internal questioning and reevaluating beliefs and faith. In many cases, when many people use the term deconstruction, they do it publicly. They do it formally. They do it, they do it uh, many times on social media with great detail. Uh, my previous job before I came to this, uh, to this church, I gave oversight to about 2,500 uh, teenage students, connected with them, camps, conventions, missions, you know, missions trips, knew a lot of them well over the past several Years, I've seen many of them that I knew well who have formally gone through a, a religious deconstruction process. They are public about it. They are uh, somewhat critical of, of certain things in the, in the church. And it's just always caught, caught my mind, especially when I, I know a good number of these. And they're wonderful, wonderful young people. So deconstruction may be a term, you know, that... Maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, or you may have heard another term called exvangelicals. It's another term that's out there that's a little more specific to, to our belief. People who have come, you know, through uh, evangelical belief in church, but, but now at this point in their life, they are questioning kind of their beliefs and their faith. And there are many of them, most of them are you know, we're doing it publicly. There's some internal, but there's also this very, very public part as well. So, you know, like, like they, they do it on Instagram. They do it on social media. Josh Harris, he announced on Instagram, I'm not a Christian. I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. And this was a shock because Josh is the pastor of Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, which at the height, you know, was running about 4,000 people. And this, this was a huge, you know, kind of ripple throughout the church community that even a pastor is going through deconstruction here. Sarah Martin is a young lady, maybe you've heard of. Sarah walked through several years ago, and she's still going through deconstruction. She put a video on YouTube about her deconstruction, and uh, you know, just it's got over 200,000 views. And I want to show you just a little bit of this video. 
God is my life. He's given me life that people outside of him can't understand. He's changed me, what I like, what I want, how I think, what I want to be, and what I want to do with my life. I want to serve him because he gave everything for me. There is nothing else I want to do with my life and nothing else that is worthwhile except to serve him. I wrote those words at the age of 17 and meant every word of them. Never could I have imagined back then that someday I would ever reach a point where I would no longer consider myself to be a follower of Jesus. How is it possible that someone who built her entire life and identity around her faith just walk away from it all? So in today's video, I want to talk a bit about deconstruction. Deconstruction is basically the process of reevaluating your core beliefs. And for a lot of people, that looks like reevaluating their Christian faith. I'm really aiming to make this video for Christians, people of faith, who still very much would call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, who might not understand what deconstruction is, maybe have heard of it, but don't quite understand what it is, and just want to know more. Uh, my hope is to shed some light on that. A lot of Christians seem to think that people who walk away from their faith must not have ever been real Christians to begin with, but that is completely false. A lot of people who go through deconstruction were heartfelt, genuine believers, and I'm speaking from personal experience. What I want to do in this video is kind of break down how deconstruction happens by talking about my own story, what it looked like for me, sort of a case study. So as I mentioned, this is gonna be kind of a case study of what my deconstruction looked like. Uh, so just keep in mind, this is one example. Everybody's story is different, just as everyone's lives are different. So just something to keep in mind. All right, <clears throat> so in the video, she gives nine reasons why she left the faith. Over the course of this series, I'm going to incorporate some of those, uh, some of those reasons as well. So just, just wanted you to get a kind of a flavor of what a kind of a public deconstruction is like. Now, there are many causes of reevaluation and, you know, thinking through faith, deconstruction. I just want to go through a few of those that are more you know, that are more common. Uh, some say I've been deeply hurt in the church. So sometimes it starts with a church crisis, some type of moral failure, spiritual abuse, harsh authoritarian uh, leadership. Maybe uh, you've saw the, uh, or listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and maybe that kind of, uh, kind of forms some of your mind on, on the church and abuse. So some have been deeply hurt in the church, and it's caused them to ask bigger questions. Uh, some, I feel like God has let me down, and disappointments have caused me to doubt him. So there are times, maybe through sickness or tragedy, death or something else, people walk through and they, it causes them to doubt the character and the trustworthiness of God and they kind of step away. Uh, some say my college experience caused me to have doubt and question, uh, question my faith in God. So many times, you know, as they go to college, uh, they hear other things, and I'll tell you, you know, one of, and I've mentioned it, you know, one of the greatest uh, uh, challenges to my faith was my 
first part of college was in a secular university. My first class was a sociology class that I took as a freshman, first class of the day. And the, the first part of that sociology class was concerning objective and subjective truth. And I had really no idea where that was going long term, but it really, you know, lays a, lays a foundation on absolutes and, and rel relative and situational ethics. So sometimes it's the college experience that causes you to have doubts. That's another reason for deconstruction and then others I've witnessed the hypocrisy of believers and the church and it's caused me to question uh, the authenticity of Christianity so there are times that maybe people have felt like the church did not uh, handle sexual abuse uh, actions in a, in a proper way they mishandled or uh, issues of uh, personal integrity maybe they felt like there was some disconnect on race in the church or they perceive the church as cold, heartless, money obsessed, impersonal, kind of has a corporate feel to it. Some feel like there's too close a connection between the church and politics, especially Republican politics. Uh, some, you know, they, they, maybe they've seen like the, uh, the Hillsongs uh, uh, videos, uh, mega church uh, exposed, and they just feel like that the whole thing has strayed from its intention. That none of the church today is just kind of, is kind of any, any good. Now, that's not all of the reasons that people deconstruct or kind of step back and reevaluate faith. That's some. We'll talk about some more later. I have a few that, that I want to maybe interject in this series. Just some thoughts that I have uh, on deconstruction. So... The, the constant pressure, there's a constant pressure to disassociate from belief in God. You know, in, in culture today, there's, it's popular, you know, to do so, to cool not to be a Christian and abuse those, you know, that are. You know, you're crazy if you believe in God, you're homophobic, you're transphobic, and those that try to stand for God, they, they pay a price, you know, there's this just sense of intolerance uh, culturally if you're a person of faith. And I think many young people kind of default to deconstruction because of the social pressure that they, the unbelievable social pressure if you try to stand, stand for God. Another, another part, and I'll, I'll bring this out in the series as well, uh, former believers who choose to live a different lifestyle and use deconstruction as a rationalization for this change. So sometimes I think, you know, people want to go live a different, different way. They want to do different things. So they kind of hide behind some of the deconstruction arguments. It's not a core tenet of their beliefs, but it's a way to kind of rationalize a, you know, a, a, a behavior change. It gives them some kind of excuse for parents and, and others. So that's a, you know, that's a, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that through the series. So... You know, uh, if you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic, you know, whatever you find yourself, I just want to mention not only now, but always, especially as we approach this series, I want to say this, Generations Church is a place where doubts and questions about faith are accepted and time to process the answers are allowed, okay? 
So it's a place that you don't have to leave if you've got questions about some of the very basic fundamentals that we believe. This is the place that you can stay, you can ask questions, and you know we'll, we'll give you the time to process the answers, whatever they may be. We welcome hard questions, okay? Some, some are, are, are difficult. I, you know, I don't always have immediate answers, but you're always welcome to ask and consider, you know, hard questions. And I promise I'm not going to try to force a conclusion on you because it wouldn't work. You can't force an opinion on someone. There's got to be a sense of logic and understanding for, to change someone's mind. So there'll never be anything forced your opinions will always be uh, respected. Jude 22 says for us to be merciful to those who doubt, and we will, okay? Doubt is part of any journey, and everyone needs to know that there is space that you can approach with questions and that you won't feel judged because you ask the questions. Now, let me say this. The Bible is full of people who had doubts and questions and fears about God. One of the most prominent and popular would be King David, but he was going through a season of evaluation. He says in Psalms 42, I say to my God, my, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? Oppressed by the enemy. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? So here's this guy that loves the Lord. He's even writing in his personal journal. He probably didn't know it was going to be in the Bible. You know, you think your diary's secret and then people publish it. But that's, that's what he said. He's walking through this time that he's going, what? is happening. Where is God at all? So through the series, we're also going to look at others who experience doubts and questions and that kind of thing. So this is going to be a, a different kind of series and, and content and structure. So I'm asking you to give me a little grace and latitude as we go through this. In the series, we're just going to mention, uh, talk about these Science versus faith and the origin of the universe and humanity. We're going to do that today. Is God real? Did Jesus really live? Is the Bible real? Is it dependable for today? Where did we come from? Why am I here? What is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Questions of worldview. Uh, if God is good, why is there much suffering, hunger, and violence in the world? Why are so many people hurt in the church and by its leaders? And I, and I disagree with the church beliefs on sexuality, gender, marriage, and family. So in some order, we're going to work through, you know, some of, some of those questions today. And I just want to say, you know, as believers, we don't hide from difficult questions. We're not trying to avoid questions because we're concerned, you know, about the answers. So we don't ignore difficult and sometimes even un uncomfortable questions. And also, we're not afraid to question the logic and the reasoning of those that believe differently, those that are, are, 
their, their beliefs are critical to our faith. So we're not afraid also to ask counter questions about assertions that others have made uh, as well. Because I believe if there's a deconstruction of faith, there can be a reconstructing of faith as well. To me, the Bible, faith in God, is the perfect combination for restructuring doubts and faith and finding certainty and a foothold in this, in this crazy world. So if you're here this week and you've gone to Generations Church for 30 years, you may be going, what does that have to do with me? I'm good. I'm good. Well, let me just, let me just say, you know, I, especially with a certain segment of people, I can't point them to the cross until I've answered their questions about faith. All right? Some people... And maybe, maybe you didn't come that way. Maybe you were born in the church and there's never been really kind of any, any kind of serious, you know, maybe uh, seasons of doubt that you've gone through. But there are a lot of people that have legitimate, heartfelt questions about faith and faith in God. My goal is to point them to the cross, but I, we, we have to make some attempt to answer their questions as we're headed there, as we're headed there uh, as well. I, and I think these questions... Answering these questions too, I think, you know, can bring people to God. I think a, a look at science and philosophy and meaning and purpose can actually answer questions and bring people back to God. So this is not exhaustive uh, in, in any means. I'm not an expert, but I do see some disturbing trends that I do not want to just remain silent. If you remain silent, then the opposite argument wins by default, okay? And, and I don't want to do that, especially as we're talking about faith and science. You know, the science world tells the faith world, stay out of our arena. But then the science world intrudes into the faith world and says, hey, there is no God, okay? So that's always kind of an unusual double standard for me. So I want to maybe just kind of wade into some of these waters this morning as well. So I want to I talk just to, to start about the origin of the universe and humanity. What really happened? What really happened? Kind of this faith science debate. How do we default? So, you know, there, there are two kind of two common opinions on the origin of the universe and, and humanity. One is the explanation of the naturalist evolution, okay? I'm going to use a, a quote from Keir Thon from Stanford University. It's very kind of concise and it understands kind of the belief of the science version in Big Bang. So let me just read that. According to the standard Big Bang model, the universe was born during a period of inflation that began about 13.7 billion years ago. Like a rapidly expanding balloon, it swelled from a size smaller than an electron to nearly its current size within a tiny fraction of a second. Initially, the universe was permeated only by energy. Some of this energy congealed into particles, which assembled into light atoms like hydrogen and helium. These atoms clumped, uh, they, uh, clumped first into galaxies, then to stars, and inside fiery furnaces where other elements were formed. So that's just a, kind of a very 
kind of quick synopsis from Kirthon. He's from the School of Energy and Environmental Sciences from Stanford University. Richard Dawkins, University of Cambridge. He gives a little more uh, kind of, he, he would come from a naturalist kind of belief. He gives a little more uh, philosophical understanding to this. So he says the universe could so easily have remained lifeless and simple, just physics and chem chemistry. Just the scattered dust of the cosmic explosion that gave birth to time and space. The fact that it did not, the fact that life evolved literally out of nothing some, bil some 10 billion years after the universe evolved literally out of nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt the words to do it justice. And, and even that is not the end of the matter. Not only did evolution happen, it eventually led to beings capable of comprehending the process by which they comprehend it. So even Richard Dawkins is going, man, there is a fundamental kind of unbelievable experience. And if you follow him, he's a rabid, you know, kind of anti-religious atheist, but he's also a scientist as well, so that kind of gives a little little background. So that, that's just one kind of theory, very quick, on the origin of the universe and humanity. The other one would be kind of the religious kind of view of, of, of how we came into being, the explanation of creationism, very succinctly the belief that nature, all aspects of the universe, earth, life, and humans originated with supernatural acts of divine creation, okay? Somehow, some way, there was a divine creation. So what happened, like to us, to us that are, that maybe believe that God had a hand in that? There are kind of four different theories. I'm just going to go over them just real quickly. People have different viewpoints on kind of how God did this. So, so one would be theistic evolution. God created the building blocks and the natural laws of the universe. He created these things with the eventual emergence of life and mind. But at some point, early on, he stepped back and let his creation take over. So he kind of started the process. And then it was kind of kind of on your own. Everybody's kind of on your own. It's kind of the fundamental kind of fundamentals of deism, kind of that belief that there's God, but he's very, he's disconnected from our, from our daily lives. Uh, there's the gap theory. Proponents contend that there was a primitive creation and an ageless past inferred in, in Genesis 1-1. That period could have gone on for billions of years, then God continued creation starting with Genesis 1-2. There is fiat creationism, the young earth, that God created the earth by divine decree, holding to a strict 24-hour day, as mentioned in Genesis 1. This would hold that the earth is thousands of years old, not millions or billions. There is progressive creation, or day-age. Progressive creationism accepts the findings of modern science, the basic tenet, is that since God created the world, we should be able to look at the world and the universe and with its scientific investigation determine when and how God created it. Currently held, the scientific view is the universe is 13.7 billion years old and the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. And this is fully accepted in the progressive creationism. The creation story is told in Genesis 1 is generally is interpreted using a literal framework of the days of Genesis 1. They 
it would actually be an age that could represent millions of years. So that is from Stanley Horton, Creation of the Universe, one of our AG theologians. So, you know, like, so if you are a believer, you know, in how God formed the world, there's some diversity of thought. I have my own belief. I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you want to ask me what it is, you're more than welcome, okay? But I found a good book. It's called Seven Days That Divided the World from John Lennox. Uh, I, 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 this, I read it in like two days. I couldn't put it down. I'll let you borrow it from me, but I want to deposit. I'll just say that. I know some of you. So, uh, all right. So, uh, that's just some of the, you have the naturalist kind of random, you know, uh, creation. You have the kind of the creation belief that there was a divine hand on the order of creation. So, those kind of the two, the, the two thoughts. Now, I, I have, you know, just a few thoughts about naturalistic evolution. I just want to share maybe some critiques and some thoughts, you know, uh, concerning that because I think, you know, just as much as people consider a leap of faith, the Christian belief, I think there's as much a leap of faith in the belief in naturalistic evolution. You saw in the quotation from Richard Dawkins, like, he's amazed, you know, like how, how we're here but, but his framework is, you know, from a, a, a secular framework, but even he admitted there's just an unbelievable, you know, part of this. So I think that it, that it can take as much faith to believe that as it does believe, you know, that, that God created the world. So just some questions concerning the Big Bang. These aren't original uh, with me, but, but before it occurs... There's got to be some things that are already in existence before this thing happens. Number one, physical material. Number two, the laws of physics. So there's some things that are already in existence before this starts. So you gotta, you gotta have, you know, you gotta have the physical material. If you go in your teenager's room and it looks like an explosion has happened in there, which it probably has, you only know that by the chaotic order of the of the the physical material that is there. So there was already already there things like gases and you know kind of your periodic table a lot of those elements they were already in existence the laws of physics some of them were already there if kirthon is right there was already you know like gravity and gases and you know and how they interact some of that was already there and then there's another part about that which is cause why at this particular time if we know why did this explosion occur it had been there for you know billions of years what made this happen at this particular time a lot of focus happens on big bang what happened before i mean what happened after very little thought about what happened you know what happened before where did some of these things come from physical material you know uh Laws of physics and, and cause. Why at this particular time did it happen? So those aren't original with me, but those are just some critiques back to that, that thought. We believe, you know, we believe, you know, uh, God prepared for every part. I mean, if you, if you got materials and you got law, then where, where did that come from? If there's a cause, why did it happen? We believe that there's, a, there's an answer to that. Let me give you some other, some other thoughts. How about questions of numerical probability? of random naturalistic evolution. Questions of numerical probability of random naturalistic evolution. The probability that the earth and humankind and the universe are just random acts. Man, somebody's having a lucky day on that day, okay? So Fred Hoyle, 
and N.C. Wickramasinghe from the University of Cambridge, here is their research. They found the odds of random formation of the single enzyme to be 10 to the 20th power. There are 2,000 enzymes, and the chance that all 2,000 enzymes, all of them occurring in random order, would be 10 to the 40,000th power. That's just on the development of the enzyme, okay? So I'm looking at just a numerical probability. How in the world would this occur randomly and chaotically? Donald Page from Princeton's Institute for Advanced Science calculated the odds against the universe randomly taking a suitable form at 10 billion to the 124th power. If I had the time, I would factor all that out for you, but I don't. It's just a time issue, okay? All right? 10 billion to the 124th power that this just happened randomly on its own. Christian apologetics says it this way. The expansion and contraction rate in the first seconds would have to be so perfect that it would be the equivalent to taking aim at a one square inch target 20 billion light years away and hitting the target. Okay? So just looking at the, numer the questions of numerical probability if there is no guiding hand upon this. You know, so Stephen Hawking, if you're familiar with him, no friend of the church, brilliant scientist, had a, you know, really difficult life journey, if you know who I'm talking about. Stephen Hawking said the odds of a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think that there are clearly religious implications okay he just looks and goes wow man how, how how does it all fall into place and here's a guy who would be no friend to the church at all lee strobel former atheist he's now a believer he writes this to continue in an athe in atheism I would need to believe that nothing produces everything, non-life produces life, randomness produces fine-tuning, chaos produces information, unconsciousness produces consciousness, non-reason produces reason, and I simply did not have that much faith. All right? So there are deep questions of numerical probability if this is random on its own creation or, or beginning, all right? So those, those are just a few, just a few questions, you know, to, to those that believe a little bit different. You know, some other questions about the origin and then the numerical probability to me is the most overwhelming, you know, critique, you know, of that belief. But let me give you some other thoughts on like creation in, in divine order. I think there are some evidences of, God's hand, you know, in the, the order of creation. How about the complexity, beauty, and intelligence of the universe? The complexity, beauty, and intelligence of the universe. So the universe is made up of things that cannot be seen. The stars, the planets, the galaxies, that we can see can be detected, only make up four percent of the universe. 
The other 90%, 6% is made of substances that we cannot see or comprehend. What you're seeing on the screen is the web observer that was recently uh, you know, launched a few years ago, and it's observing galaxies that formed about 400 million years after the Big Bang. One of those, that right there, is called the hand of God. It's a photograph, you know, that, that shows 17,000 light years away. Stars, galaxies, planets, orbits, gravity, how they all spin, how they all function together, to me, speak to the beauty and the complexity and the intelligence of the universe and to me, the creator that formed it. Too much, to me, complexity to be by chance. I want to give you something else to think about. The fine-tuning of the earth or intelligent design. There are lots of planets, stars, and galaxies out there. But the earth is different. Why? Fine-tuning, if you're not familiar with that term, refers to the surprising precision of nature's physical constants and the early conditions of the universe. To explain how a habitable planet like the Earth can even exist, these fundamental constants have to be set at just the right values, like tuning a dial to find the right radio station. If the universe had the physical constants, even with slightly different values, the universe simply could not support life. It would expand too quickly, never form carbon atoms, and never make complex molecules like DNA. So there's something about the Earth that is different and makes it potentially habitable. It has this unique blend and combination that no one else has of gravity, water, and oxygen. The precision of the placement from the sun, 92 million miles away, puts us in a place that the temperature to support human life you know, uh, or puts us in a place where the, the correct temperature supports human life. The precision of how far we are from the sun. Uh, it orbits, the, the earth orbits around the sun 24 hours in perpetuity. Doesn't slow down, doesn't get faster, okay? Orbits around the sun. Every four months, it tilts on its axis 23.5 degrees that gives us different seasons as we're rotating around the sun, 23.5. And it just doesn't change the outdoors. This change of seasons gives women a chance to buy new wardrobes every four months, three months. And that you should give praise to God for your creator. Some of you are, you've got your new clothes this morning, so... Uh, the Earth's atmosphere is a unique balance, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and a few other things. No, no else, nowhere elsewhere in the solar system is any kind of form of atmosphere that's habitable for human life exists. So you have to look at the question of, you know, the fine-tuning of the Earth or intelligent design. We are different 
in the universe. And you have to ask the question, why? The miracle of the human body speaks to me of a creator. Our eyes <clears throat> can distinguish up to one million color surfaces and take in more information than the largest existing telescope. Your body has more than 600 muscles and your brain is the conductor so that we can walk, run, work, do all the things that we need to do. The hand is an engineering marvel. It pivots it can pick up, it can grab, it can lift, it can punch if it needs to punch. It's, a, it's an engineering marvel connected to the shoulder and the hand. Your heart beats a 100,000 times a day with pressure to take the, the six quarts of blood through your veins and capillaries. It circulates through the body three times every minute. In one day, your blood travels 12,000 miles. That's why we're always tired at the end of the day. That's a lot of mileage, all right? Your body is made up of approximately 100 trillion cells. They all came from the division of one cell. In this wonderful formation of humanity, there became male and female to sustain and perpetuate the, the species. Even in this miracle, the fingerprint of every human being is unique. Random creation, I don't see it. I see the body as a miracle extension of the hand of the creator, all right? Now I got one issue. If you eat ice cream too fast, you get a headache, all right? But we'll deal with that. We will deal with that, all right? Can I give you another, another part why I think creation speaks of, of a divine creation and order, human consciousness, intelligence and moral reasoning, intelligence. Nothing like this in, the, in, in, in humanity exists on the earth. We're the only species, if you want to use that term, that has elevated our language, society, and education, all right? We have we can do in utero surgery, and we've landed a man on the moon. We've created the computer and can talk to almost anyone in the world. So not is it just innate intelligence, but there is also in the mind beauty, meaning, purpose, forgiveness, love, family, marriage, and they're all kind of, you know, kind of signs of God's creative hand, not just in the, the body, but also in the mind. So human consciousness, there is intelligence and there's also moral reasoning. There's moral reasoning, an innate sense of right and wrong that we're born with. Just some, some are absolutes. Animals kill, but humans murder. What's the difference in those two? What's the difference in those two? Because we believe that there's an, an intrinsic value in humanity and believe that everyone is created in the image of God. So as part of our moral reasoning, there's, there's morality, a sense of right and wrong, justice as well. To me, it speaks of the hand of the creator. Darwin said the evolutionary theory was survival of the fittest. But why is it here that we experience kindness and benevolence? It's the antithesis of Darwin's theory of, of survival of the fittest. We have a people here who are kind and benevolent. They give to the poor. They'll help a child. They'll give money. They'll go help other people. That is the opposite, supposedly, of our evolutionary DNA. Where did that come from? 
It's more reasoning. Okay? Why are we different? Even if we're walking upright, why are we not just like other animals? Okay? Just trying to survive. There's an, there's an innate intelligence and moral reasoning that comes to, to humanity. Tim Keller says, in fact, it takes a lot of faith to imagine human values can arise from an impersonal universe. If it's random and chaotic in the beginning, where did some of these, these values, these good values, where did they come from? He said, it, it, it takes a big stretch of faith. C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> Mere Christianity, says, There is something that is directing the universe, which also appears to me as a law, urging me to do right and making me feel responsible and uncomfortable when I do wrong. He's acknowledging that we're born with this sense of right and wrong. It's, it's innate. It's born, in, it's born in every human. Where did that come from? How does that exist? It, to me, it, it does not derive itself from a, you know, from a random, naturalistic, chaotic beginning. I want to give you a couple other things to me that point to a creator. Early historical evidence has always shown a belief in God or some type of religious expression. Okay? Most early anthropog- anthropological studies show signs that in early civilization there were temples, shrines, some kind of belief in God. The Egyptian pyramids that we all know well, you know, are people that, you know, they've buried, but they're some kind of belief, you know, in the afterlife, okay? Why has this concept of God or religion always been around? It's always been around. It may not be in a form that, you know, that we agree with or think that is, you know, good, But there's just always been this belief all the way back to the Bible, the earliest parts of the Bible, but not just the Bible. Other parts of civilization always point to some kind of unusual belief, you know, belief in God and some kind of belief in the afterlife is where? Afterlife as well. Where did that come from? Ecclesiastes says that God has set in the heart, in the human heart, set eternity in the human heart. We just believe that that humanity is created for belief and connection with God. And there's this desire for for worship and to be connected with with a believer. And there's also almost fundamentally across every early civilization, the belief in an afterlife that we just don't die. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? My, my last here on these, how about the personal religious experiences of billions of people, you know, that claim, you know, to, to be followers of God. I mean, this needs to be considered as well. I realize it, it's not mathematically or scientifically quantifiable, but I just want to say, I think that it, I think that needs to be considered, you know, as well, you know, um, what, what do we do with the personal religious experiences? People that have heard from God, they've, they've talked with God, they feel like their life has, you know, feel like their life has been changed. So, you know, it, it may not be quantifiable by scientific means and methods, but I just want you to know, God changed my heart. I mean, God, God changed my heart. I know he has changed my life. I'm a different person from the time that I got up from the altar to today. And that, my friend, is quantifiable. Ask my mother about that. All right? 
And I would say, too, to people who speak down and critically of those that have had religious and spiritual experiences, I say kindly, if you've lived your life with the belief that there is no God and you've never asked or experienced God's presence in your life, then who are you to tell me that there is no such thing as the power and the presence of God? So when I consider the beauty and complexity and the intelligence of the universe, the fine-tuning and intelligent design of the earth, the miracle of the human body, human consciousness, intelligence, and moral reasoning, early historical evidence that has always kind of had this track record of belief in God and the personal experiences. Listen, listen, there are billions of people. They all live different. They all believe differently. But man, you know, there are billions and billions of people that believe in God in some in some form. So, I mean, I just believe the personal experience, you know, needs to be, needs to be considered. I want to invite some people to the stage uh, right now. I want to invite uh, Lucy Nagata, uh, Dr. Monica Ajiman, Samuel Ajai, Chris Francis. I would like for them to come to the stage right now. Would you guys come? Make them welcome. Come on up here. Amen. Come stand up here. Grab a, grab a mic if you guys will. All right. There you go. Lucy, Monica, come up here. Amen. So let me, let me introduce these to you if you don't know them. Uh, Lucy's got the microphone there. Nagata, she uh, has a Ph.D. from the University of Florida. Uh, and she's a professor at Florida A&M in biochemistry. Uh, over here is Monica Ajman, and uh, she is from Nigeria. Uh, she has her PhD from the University of Benin. She uh, teaches at Florida A&M University, assistant professor in biological sciences. I always try to say, now, you be kind to your students now. You know, these harsh professors. Uh, we also have uh, Chris Francis. He's a PhD in civil engineering and got that from Warangal uh, National Institute of Technology, Warangal, India. Currently self-employed as a civil engineer uh, from SRF Consulting Group. And Samuel Ajai, he's a PhD candidate in nuclear physics at Florida State University. Uh, he's a graduate research assistant. He's doing his dissertation right now. What's your dissertation on? Grab the, grab the mic and tell us. Yeah. Yeah, but is it on? Basically, I'm working on nuclear physics, nuclear structure. And uh, what we say we do is, is to study uh, our structure, like the structure of the human from all these things. So when we say nuclear, we are going into the details. Got it. Nuclear structure okay. at the core. What is at the core? All right. If you have any questions about that, you just let us know. We'll be glad to help you. <laughs> all right. Now, I know you're looking and going, man, there's a lot of brain power on that stage with those five that are up there. You didn't have to laugh that loud. <laughs> They're not the only ones in our congregation that have uh, advanced degrees in science, but I, I, uh, I want you to hear, hear from them uh, this morning. So I have some questions for you. Um, you're all scientists and followers of Jesus. Is there intellectual space in your heart to believe in both? Are you bad scientists because you believe in Jesus? Lucy, you can start us off. Go ahead. Um, 
I am uh, glad to say that uh, I believe that being a scientist and being a child of God both belong together because they have the same source and the same um, creator and both of them are dependent on one God. Amen. Chris, are you, uh, is, there, is there room intellectually to be a scientist and a, you know, and a believer? Yes. In fact, I stand better today because of my faith and not because of the knowledge of science, which helped me to get a job, but God helped me to build a life, and that's the Creator's power. So, Hey, that'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and quickly, I wanted to tell this, that science is a discovery process. We discover things like apples were falling forever till Isaac Newton saw why it fell the way it fell, theory of gravity. Yeah. Thank you. Monica, you know, uh, you're, you know, is there space for, to be a really good scientist intellectually and to be a follower of Jesus as well? Unequivocally, there is no way you can believe in science without believing in God. Science is about, or biology, like I have studied, is the study of life. And science just studies what has already been created. And the question would be, who created that thing we are studying? Yeah. And it's so clear that life that I'm studying, every bit of what science is discovering has been created before. And we are just studying what has been created. So clearly, Science is a part of God that we are discovering. Amen. Samuel, <clears throat> you're discovering the your part of your dissertation is the is the human body there. Uh, so, is there inconsistencies with you as a scientist and a believer? Is there intellectual space to believe in both? Okay. So, what I'm working on is not human body. It's right. uh, a nuclear. I'm working. For example, I'm working on. Um, some nuclei, 59 cobalt nuclei, and uh, you know we say the body is made up of uh, carbons, right? And carbon for, for carbon 14, 12, and likes, and then part of what make up the human body. So, part of that's some of the things that we study. So intellectually, I would say um, it's possible to be intellectual. You believe in science, and you also believe the word of God, the Bible. And I would say science, believing in God does not mean you suspend your intelligence and say, okay, when I'm studying the word of God, I suspend my intelligence, I don't need it. And when I'm back to science, I bring back my intelligence for wherever I've uh, placed it in. It is possible to be intellectual at both, and even study the Bible intellectually, even using the laws, using law of first cause, law of uh, first mention, law of uh, whatever, and even study the Bible. So it's very possible to be intellectual at both. Studying the Bible, being a Christian, and questioning, because science is about questioning what people have said. Is this thing actually true? That means you can question what someone is telling you. You don't have to take it at face value. You can say, is this thing actually true? Which we saw the Berean Christians, Paul said, they will always go back to study what they have been taught. So it's very possible. Amen. Chris, Lucy, when you think about kind of this whole science, faith, debate, kind of what are some thoughts that 
you know, that come to your mind as, as people kind of are back and forth on this discussion? Chris, you can go first. Yeah, I think what I learned till now in life is that knowledge is good, but the tree of life is better. If you go to, uh, I've been off late studying about tree of life, including advancing the business that I work for. Tree of life helps you in business too. Please go and Google it. It's very important. So what I say is, tree of life gives us that knowledge in addition to science that opens our eyes to many things that we see around, as Samuel said, shaped my life in a way that when I am low, there is hope. When I am high, I enjoy and give glory to God. So there is a balance here between science and uh, our belief system, and both go hand in hand, as everybody has said. But one thing that came to my, my mind most was that the tree of knowledge, or the tree of good and evil, right, is what actually has shaped the world today, and it continues to shape us in all the thoughts that Plaster has told us. But I think the tree of life is the one that will keep us going. So Lucy, thoughts, uh, faith versus science, when you think through that, what comes to mind? Allow me to quickly define what science is um, in very simple terms and very general. Science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiments. So you see, basically, what science is doing is studying which is existing, uh, that which is existing. It's simply studying that which has already been created. And so the question is, and I think uh, Sister Monica mentioned that, created by who? And so we go back to Genesis and we look at the creator and the owner of everything. In Genesis chapter one, God created heaven and earth and everything in them. And this is how he did it. He spoke everything into existence. He said, let there be vegetation, and there were vegetation. He said, let there be birds of the air, and there were birds of the air that came into being. And that means he spoke, and it came into being, which means that before the beginning, and before God spoke, everything was in him and he spoke it into existence. And that includes what we study and call science. So the question is, how come that the creation can dare tell the creator that I am superior than you? How come that it could be perceived that science that God created is superior than, than God. And that's why for scientists to understand science, they need to seek the God who created science. And more importantly, 
for scientists to understand the purpose of creation, they need to seek God. Because when the purpose of a thing is unknown, abuse is inevitable. That's good. That's good. And the most important thing to note is God created everything for a purpose with a purpose and so to conclude i want to say that science has to bow to god that created science Amen. i didn't know they could preach too i just thought they were smart monica samuel just final question there may be people um that come out of a more naturalistic mathematics science kind of framework maybe their academics over a course of time have maybe pulled them away from some life belief that there is some kind of creator maybe they've just been raised that way or maybe they've come honestly to some natural conclusions leaning toward more naturalistic maybe there's not a, a divine creator in the universe what would you say to that monica start what would you say to that individual this morning my life experience is proof and it validates everything that is written in the word of god everything i have read in science in biology i have my phd in microbiology None has been able to completely validate a lot of the things that I go through. In science, I see a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of things that are not being explained. Whereas in God, all the things that science cannot explain that they do not have explanations for is being explained. Um, quickly, I will talk about in, in biology or microbiology, they talked about um, the theory of abiogenesis, that living things actually originated from non-living things. But another scientist came up after decades of believing in that theory and living with it and working with it. Louis Pasteur came up to say it cannot happen. That living things can only arise from previously living things. And that abolished forever the theory of abiogenesis. That is an inconsistency. And in classification of living things in um, Initially, living things were classified into five, um, into five uh, um, kingdoms. Plants, animals, fungi, protista, monera. Later on, based on more discoveries and more knowledge, the scientists came up to say, no, 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 it's not five, it's now three. Three domains of life. Bacteria, archaea, and eukarya. So in science, as they continue to learn, things keep changing. 
There is nothing learned in science that is 100%. There is a lot of limitation. But in God, everything is specified. Every event that is recorded in the Bible from thousands of years ago is still the same event that is in the Bible till today. I think pastor went to Israel the other day and everything the Bible recorded, you went to all of those places and you brought up proofs that yes, they existed. None has been able to refute it. That's number one. Number two, I see in my life experiences that say that science is below a higher authority. The limitations of science, where doctors say there is no hope, where they scan, the MRI scan, the CT scans, tell you this person has just 24 hours to live. And when I move out of the limitation of science and I call on the God that I believe in, according to the word, I see that turn around. Specifically, I want to mention a case. My daughter, she's 18 now. She'll be 18 in a couple of months. I was uh, six months gone. She came out like 12 weeks earlier than the time. So she was preterm. And the doctors told me there was an echo in her heart. It's, it didn't, the heart valves did not close because she came out early. And they told me I have to take her to Israel for a surgery. I have to take her, they have to close it physically. But then I, I moved out of the realm of science. And I moved to an, a, a higher realm. Amen. And I told God, there is nothing that is impossible for you to do. And I said, these valves will close by itself. And I just laid a little bit of seed at the altar of God. Amen. Immediately I paid the seed on Sunday. The very next day on Monday, the heart closed. Amen. Amen. There is no justification, no explanation. Amen. I have seen too many, more than 100 experiences in my life that I can say that the science failed. Amen. And only the word of God remained. Amen. Samuel, close us out. <clears throat> what would you say to someone who's maybe struggling science versus faith? Maybe academics have pushed them this way. Maybe they've come to these questions naturally. What would you say to that individual this morning? First thing I would say is everyone has questions, and you will always have questions. And that you're having questions, doubt does not mean uh, that you are falling out of place. Thomas had doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. He had not seen anyone resurrected before, and he said, until I dip my hands into this hole, I'll not believe. It was not cast out, but the truth is, God will always show up for you. It will always show up for you. You may look through science and say, oh, it says the universe is 14 billion years old, the earth is 4 billion years old, and you read through the Bible, you say, oh, this event is like, should be like 6,000 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, and then those look like inconsistencies for you. I'll say, don't leave until you have actually studied. Don't leave because of the rumors that you have had. Study yourself and see. Now you may say, oh, miracles, healings are, are not real. You have to experience it first before you say it's not real. You cannot reject what you have not experienced. Some people, some of us have experienced 
healings, miracles, seen, re, seen cripples walk from wheelchair and things happen. Science cannot explain that. Now, sometimes when I see healings too, I, I, because I'm, I'm a scientist, I want to prove everything. I want to see everything. Even some people have laid hands on before and I see healing. And they tell me I'm healed. I'm like, no, you are not. Are you sure you are healed? I want to prove everything. Yeah, that's, it's good to be inclusive, but see, there is always a higher power, and which is the power of God. There is always the supreme power, which is the power of God. So your questions are valid. Ask your questions. It does not mean you are an unbeliever. You just need, you need to study more, but don't reject what you have not experienced. In science, we, we talk about subjectivity, objectivity. Now, it's we we'll start saying it's objective when so many people can prove it, right? And we say it's subjective when it's just your experience. Now, you can't claim my experience is subjective when so many people like me have experienced the same thing I've experienced. Because in science, what we depend on is repeatability. Can we repeat this thing? So you can't say if the healings has been repeated over time, if those experiences, supernatural experience has been repeated over time, you can't just say it's subjective we can begin to see some objectivity in it. So don't just reject the experience without experiencing it. Amen. Give it up for these guys. Put these mics in here. Quick, because he's a preacher. I'm not a scientist. I'm an engineer, even though I got my PhD. But uh, my training says that I'm a civil engineer. The foundation is the strongest of the whole building. Anything can be erased, but the foundation can't. The Word of God should be the foundation for every believer and non-believer, hopefully, one day. But what I wanted to say was to pastor now is that uh, we have a challenge here growing in this century of retaining faith, especially among youngsters. So I was reading some articles on that, and one suggestion was to churches is to bring in young uh, adults very early on into the activities of the church, right from leadership down to everything that we do, so that they can discover the power of God through their own experience. Amen. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Give it up for these guys. Great job. <clears throat> Great job. So, faith versus science. We believe that if there's a blueprint, at some point there's got to be an architect. If there is a law, moral law, physical laws, then somewhere there's a lawgiver. That if there's a design, that there must be a designer. That's our philosophical belief when we talk about the origin of the universe. Now, why is this important? You know, why did I do a whole message on this to people who may have doubts and deconstruction and questions about that? I'm going to tell you why I did this. Because your belief on the origin of the universe is foundational to your moral and spiritual worldview. So if you don't believe there's, you know, you, if you believe in natural, naturalistic random evolution, you know, then when it comes to meaning and purpose and morality, what's right and wrong and destiny, what happens after we die, then that's of no consequence. But if there is, you know, if, you, if we believe in faith 
and, and, and believe that there's a creator at the beginning, then there the answers of meaning and purpose and why am I here and what is right and wrong and what happens when I die, it's of great consequence at the end. That's why I ask this question. So why am I here? Am I a mere product of chance, physics, and biology? Is this all that there is that you just live and die, that there's no meaning or purpose to our existence? Well, I just want to close with this thought today. Why, why are we here? Because I believe that there is a God in heaven who is trying his best to communicate to you and let him know, let you know of his love and his plans. Psalms 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Look at this. What is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? So the writer, when he considered all that was going on in the cosmos, big picture, it brought him back to the fact that there is a loving, personal God and, and a creator. And I think I think God has that message maybe for you today. I believe that God uses the canvas of heavens and earth to shout to his creation of his existence. I believe he uses the beauty of his creation to extend a hand to you, to tell you that you're not alone. I believe he uses the wonder of his handiwork to speak to you that you are not a product of randomness, but you are a unique design, loved and created by God. I believe that. So let me ask you, as we close, <clears throat> atheism says with absolute certainty, there is no God. So if you come from this background, this framework, let me ask you, can I nudge you just a little bit toward a different thought? Atheism says with absolute certainty, how about considering agnosticism, which says, yeah, I have great doubts, but I am open to the possibility if I got the right information and the right revelation, I am open to believing that there may be a God, you know, so can I, if that's you, can I just nudge you toward maybe that belief? And I want to say to you, if you open yourself to that consideration, don't be afraid of where this journey may lead you. The, the scientists up here, they said it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey of, of knowledge and information. Don't be afraid of where it goes. Some people don't ask the question because they're afraid of the answers. They're afraid of, of, of the answer. So I just want to say, can I get you just to open to that belief. If I had the right information and the right revelation, I'd be open to believing in God and that he may have a plan and purpose for my life. I'm just going to close because I believe that before you were ever born, God prepared a way for you to know him. I just, I, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that he went to a great extent so to communicate to you that he loves you and he, and he gave an ultimate sacrifice for a relationship 
that he can have with you through his son Jesus and to spend eternity in heaven. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by his son, look at this, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he made the universe. He wraps together the creative, the creative, you know, arm of God to the creative, I mean, the, the, the saving hand of God. In one, in one passage, he does that, all right? So maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, maybe you got this on a podcast, somebody sent this to you, and, and maybe, you know, in your uh, kind of thinking, maybe this is the right time. Maybe the Lord, maybe you've just been going through some things and this information has come to you at the right time. Maybe you've just kind of been ethically, morally, scientifically, religiously confused. Maybe you've done your full deconstruction and man, I, I'm, I'm done with this. Or maybe you're just open to some questions. Maybe we're just kind of, kind of wrestling with that. I would just ask you, would you be open to a prayer at the end of this that I would pray for you and that you would maybe pray yourself that would say something like, God, I have lots of questions, lots of concerns, not sure about this thing, but Lord, if you're out there, would you let me know that you're out there? Would you let me pray for that for you? And would you have the audacity and the courage to maybe pray that and pray it from the depth of your heart? I would say to you, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're a believer and your life is in chaotic order. It's got lots of, lots of stuff going on in your life. I want, as a secondary message, I want to remind you that God is a God of order and he's got a plan for you. And even though it may seem chaotic on the outside, God is a God, you know, he's got a plan. God's got a plan. So I just want to say that to you this morning. Thank you, Lord. So I want to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray a couple of prayers. Maybe you kind of come from a different background, different, you know, different way of thinking of what I said. I, I respect that. I honor your questions. I, I respect your beliefs. But I ask you, would you just be open to a prayer that, hey, God, if you're out there, I'm open. I'm open. If you'll just reveal yourself to me in some way. So I want to pray that prayer, but in your own way. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can just think it. But if you'll just be open to that moment, I just believe in some way God's going to wave his hand again to you. I think he already has waved his hand, but he, he'll do it again. All right, Lord, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for everyone, regardless of kind of our journey, faith journey, no faith journey. I thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I thank you for those who may be listening to me on a podcast or watching on YouTube or uh, in this sanctuary today that just have questions and, and concerns about faith. So Lord, I pray, I just pray over them today. Lord, you love them and you care. And Lord, I pray somehow, some way, Lord, you'll let them know that you're out there. You may remind them of something that's occurred in the past. There may be something in the future. Lord, there are people who are going to open themselves up to maybe considering a belief of faith and considering you 
and all that entails, they're going to walk into this question with courage and not concerned where other questions may lead. So I just pray over that. I pray, I thank you for their courage. I thank you for their boldness. And Lord, I pray somehow, some way, Lord, they'll know that you're there. You're watching over for them and you're, you're connecting and you're speaking to them today. Lord, I pray for those that are here today. Lord, they may even be believers. And Lord, their life is chaotic and disordered. But you are not a God of chaos and a God of disorder. And I pray and I just speak to their life, whatever it may be, whatever they're going through. Lord, I pray, God, that your hand would just speak peace in their heart. Lord, eventually in the right time, circumstances would unfold and they would know that your hand is there. I pray for those who are walking in chaos and disorder. You are not a God of chaos and disorder. Lord, you have a plan. You have a purpose. We pray that that would emerge. And Lord, we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So I want to just say thank you. I ask you for a little latitude to this series. I told you it's going to be a little different in content and structure. I got a couple of things uh, I want to close with. If you're 35 years or under and uh, you would read this book, I have a book that's called Before You Lose Your Faith. And, and maybe you got some questions, legitimate questions. Uh, these are out at guest services. They're free. And if you'll take it and read it, it may just, like, like Samuel said, you, if, if you're just looking for some information, doesn't, doesn't hurt to kind of read and kind of get some information. But it's called Before You Lose Your Faith. If we run out, uh, I will, I'll have some more for next week. This is all I could get. But if you're 35 years in age and under, if you're online, are, are watching later, just send us an email. We'll mail this to you, no cost. We will uh, we'll, we'll absorb the, uh, the cost there. But I, I think it's a great book. Also, they're going to put my email address on the screen. All right, this is my personal email address. None of my staff reads this. So I want you to know, I, I would like to maybe start a dialogue with some people out there. And if you've got questions, concerns, you disagree, whatever, you can shoot me an email. If you're watching online, listening to this later, if you're listening on the podcast, it's brian at gctlh.org. But if you want to respond in some way, I promise you I will read it. I will not be dismissive of that. I will treat it respectfully, and I promise you I'll respond to you. I promise I'll give you a personal response on that. So listen, thank you uh, for coming this morning. I'm going to be down at the front. Uh, if I can talk with you, pray with you, if you're new, I'd love the opportunity to meet with you. Uh, I would love to maybe to start a dialogue. If some of you are kind of walking through some times of question, that's okay. It's okay. You're welcome here. We're glad. We're glad that you're here. All right. Lord, we just give you praise. We give you thanks as we dismiss today. God, I pray your blessing in your hand upon everyone that is here today. God, and I pray, God, this service, the seed planted for your glory, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a shout of praise this morning as you leave? Amen. God's good. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.